1: Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right, uh, so uh, we're coming to you uh, this week from Steam Theory. Uh, it is a uh, brewery, uh, really nice place, right across from Trinity Groves uh, in the shadows of downtown Dallas on the other side of the Trinity River. If you see the Margaret Hunt Hill Bridge, you'll know what we're talking about. Uh, and we are sitting down today uh, with former Ambassador Robert Jordan. He was a former ambassador to Saudi Arabia. Uh, he is now a diplomat in residence, an adjunct professor of political science at the John Tower Center for Public Policy and International Affairs at SMU. And I said all that with one breath.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. We, we are booking the big guests here, Ambassador. Thanks for being here. Great to be with you. We appreciate it. And, and we are at STEAM Theory,
2: but I'm having the equilibrium beer. It's a red ale, and it is fantastic. What do you have, an Ambassador? I'm having some Sincerely Blonde, I think it is, or Sincerity Blonde. I like that.
1: Uh, I can never remember what I'm drinking, even when I'm having the first one. Uh, Mine is a Bohemian something or another. I just remembered the name Bohemian. That's it's, what I liked about it, and it's good. It's a light beer. Uh, it's a light beer. I'm a lightweight. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Ambassador, let's dig right into this because, uh, boy, do we have a lot brewing, uh, speaking of brews, uh, in, the, in the Middle East uh, right now. Uh, very tense
2: situation, to say the least. Yeah. What's your read on things right now as it stands? Well, as they say in the Middle East, it can always get worse before it gets worse. <laughs> So uh, I I would not take too much comfort in the fact that Iran's uh, latest response was measured. Uh, This may be the last time we see an official attack from the government of Iran, but they have so many proxies around the world, some of whom are not necessarily governed day to day by uh, Tehran. But we'll take uh, as an affront not only the killing of Soleimani, but also the killing of the Iraqi uh, militia leader. Uh, And so you're going to have Iraqi militias, I think, uh, out to do no good, uh, in addition to uh, sympathizers uh, across the region. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think this is still a very dangerous time for Americans, uh, for our government installations, our embassies, uh, and I think I would continue to be on high alert. We know Iran is a bad actor.
0: We don't hear as much about Saudi Arabia. Is, is the kingdom of Saudi Arabia the friend that the U.S. thinks it is?
2: It's neither the friend that the U.S. thinks it is nor the enemy that its detractors uh, would uh, paint as well. What is it then? Uh, it's a frenemy, I suppose I would say. Mm-hmm. They, really? They have uh, their own agenda. They had actually been fairly helpful to us in Iraq by enlisting the Sunni tribes in fighting ISIS. They have as much a commitment to fight ISIS as we do. Just as they did al- Qaeda finally, mm-hmm. after the attacks of 9 /11, it took a couple of years to get them enlisted, but they finally uh, rose to the occasion. I went to look
0: up to see how much oil we're still getting from Saudi Arabia, because you know the, the Permian Basin out in West Texas is uh, you know p- pumping so much out uh, with the fracking over there. the U.S. imported 328 million barrels of oil from Saudi uh, in 2018. That's an all-time low, yeah. which shocked me. I didn't realize that but there's still a lot of Texans who are in Riyadh and all around with these energy companies. Yeah. I lived in Houston. Jason Wheeler lived in Houston. We had friends, neighbors who, who worked over there. Is it a dangerous place to be? And why are we still there? Then if that's the case,
2: Saudi Arabia is not inherently a dangerous place to be. Uh, they have a, a strong, uh, monopoly on the use of force. They have strong security, uh, op- uh, operations and they have pretty well kicked Al Qaeda out of Saudi Arabia. Um, So it's not a dangerous place to be, and it's actually quite friendly uh, to Americans in many ways. Uh, If you go to the eastern province where most of the oil is, uh, you'd think you're in Midland. Uh, Really? uh, You hear these Texas accents. Uh, The American business community there is very tight-knit. Uh, and it's really a joy to go and, and talk to these folks. So when you got homesick, you'd head there. i do go to, to Dahran or Damam. Yeah, <laughs> there are Texas chicken places over there. I saw. There's all kinds of. You bet. Really? When I uh, when I landed in Jeddah the first time uh, on the West Coast, the first thing I saw was a Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. Fr- from Brinker, which is based in based Dallas. Here, yeah. 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 Wow, that's that's incredible.
0: So, but is is there if if Saudi Arabia is a frenemy? Of the U.S., do you see a day when when Texas and the Texans who are there might pull out and come back over here? Since we're pumping so much oil out,
2: yeah. Uh, the The oil that we import from Saudi Arabia is a particular kind of crude, which is necessary for certain of our refineries, uh-huh. largely in the Gulf. Is it heavy crude? Is that uh, what it it's is? heavy crude? And it's used, I think, in diesel fuel. Uh, and our refineries are calibrated for that kind of crude, which we don't produce much of. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's a reason why we still import that, that level. Uh, over time, I guess is uh, we'll either find ways to diminish that import or not. Mm-hmm. But an important point here is, even if we never import another drop of Saudi crude, Saudi Arabia is very important to the United States. They're important for galvanizing the Sunni Muslim community around the world, frankly. Uh, they're important as a crossroads uh, geopolitically. They're important. You can't fly over Saudi Arabia in a military plane without having an overflight clearance. And during the time after 9-11, we were flying several thousand sorties a day mm-hmm. out of Saudi Arabia. Each one needed a clearance. So. They also are extremely important in fighting terrorism. They are really committed to fighting ISIS and al-Qaeda. But, but we don't necessarily rush to their aid anymore like we
1: used to. Right. I mean, we had this attack, this drone attack that yeah. has been attributed to Iran on yeah. Saudi oil facilities in September of 2019. And right. there wasn't much
2: response from here. No, we had little response to the provocations that started in April uh, of last year, uh, including uh, attacks on tankers and shipping, uh, attacks uh, on our uh, uh, intelligence drone, uh, and then the attacks on uh, uh, Abcake and Carace. Mm -hmm. What, What message did that send? I think it sent a message that we were less willing to spend American blood and treasure just to keep them uh, from having to do it themselves. Mm. And there's a famous quote that I think uh, former Secretary Robert Gates said, which is, they want us to fight Iran down to the last American. And so I think that game is now changing somewhat. It started under Obama. Mm -hmm. Obama said they need to start learning to share the neighborhood with Iran. Mm -hmm. Uh, He called them free riders. Uh, And so I think this is something that is now being recalibrated and the Saudis and Emiratis especially now know They've got to step up and take more responsibility for their own security. Because we didn't come to the Saudis' aid after the oil field attacks, the Saudis have now reportedly been trying to approach Iran uh, to de-escalate and to de-escalate in Yemen, which they desperately need to do. They're spending about five billion dollars a month. Uh, fighting that war in Yemen, they can't afford that with American support for much of that. Yeah, we're providing munitions and intelligence and reconnaissance, but no troops. Yes.
0: Yeah, and Yemen is their southern neighbor, and the Shiites and Sunnis. We've heard about that for decades since we went in in 1990 into Iraq. The two different sects of Islam, and the way this is, has broken down is the Iraqis and the, the Saudis and others are on the Sunni
2: side, Iran and other countries are on the Shiite side, yeah. and we need to break that paradigm. One of the interesting things that's been happening in Iraq is the populations there have been uprising Mm -hmm. against foreign influence on both sides. So they torched torched two consulates of Iran just in the last few months. Mm -hmm. They had big demonstrations against Iran's presence, which they say is contributing to the corruption, bad governance, uh, and lack of progress. And so what they're trying to do is reform their constitution so that they don't allocate seats in parliament by your religion but instead elect you more broadly based on what your policies are, which is a very smart way for them to do it. Killing Soleimani has interrupted that. My guess is after the hubbub dies down, they'll try to go back to some of that. But there are actually some promising signs in Iraq, and the Saudis undoubtedly are helping behind the scenes to encourage uh, getting away from this religious uh, test, if you will, uh, for membership in parliament. Do you ever see an end over
0: there? Do you ever see peace in the Middle East from Lebanon and Israel all the way over to
2: Iran? I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Part of their culture is the notion of maximal victory. There is no mercy for the loser. It's winner take all. Huh. And so uh, they have no sense of compromise. And I think this is quite different from Western approaches to things where we try to work things out and smooth things. It hasn't always been that way. They had periods uh, uh, hundreds of years ago when they all got along fine. Uh, They had uh, occasional skirmishes, and there were certainly tribal uh, influences. I think some of these tribal influences continue to today, Mm -hmm. and so they're suspicious of outsiders, well. particularly those who grew up and lived in the central parts of places like Saudi Arabia. The people who lived on the coast were more like the people in San Francisco or Boston, where they traded with <laughs> outsiders. Mm-hmm. And so they were more open to it. But the people in the center of the country uh, were very hostile to outsiders. And I think that theme continues a bit today.
1: So it's about crushing your enemy completely and 100% victory. So well, how does that inform how we should be responding to Iran right now?
2: Well, I think, I think President Trump has actually looked at that to some degree, and I think he is seeing that they respect force, uh, they respect uh, perhaps brutal force in some cases. That's maybe satisfying on the short term, but the question is, is that useful uh, in the long term? And my view is that what we've got to do is show Iran how it's in their own best interest to get out from under these sanctions become part of the family of nations. As President Trump said, they have a magnificent society going back 4,000 years. Mm -hmm. They actually have about the best human capital uh, in the Middle East. They're well-educated, they have a work ethic, and they have been struggling mightily over the last uh, 10 years uh, under sanctions and under the very difficult situations they have. And if they came out from under these sanctions, they would compete the socks off the Saudis. I think, but and that's what bothers the Saudis, isn't it? The competition. I think they see the the economic competition as a major threat to their hegemony in the region. See, that's what that's what you don't hear very often. Is
0: is how educated, how, how, you know, you hear about the military might and the religious leaders who are in charge of Iran, but you don't hear about the culture and the society very often.
2: And the, the Saudis are trying to counter this themselves by developing their education. This new crown prince who I have great problems with, but one thing he's doing is trying to diversify the economy and bring them into the 21st century.
1: There is always going to be this major rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So can there be peace even if, you know, Iran changes its behavior, it gets out from underneath sanctions? Uh, because there's still going to be this economic rivalry between these two that just,
2: it doesn't abate. I think they'll probably see at some point that even though they have an economic rivalry, a shooting war is not in anyone's best interest. And so they'll have what I would call a cold peace at best.
1: You and I have talked about this, too, kind of interesting. They say that nothing unites like a common enemy. Right. And so what we've seen in recent years, you were saying, is that Saudi Arabia has started to cozy up to Israel, uh, of all countries, because both of
2: them you know, have the same feeling about Iran. It's quite amazing. When I first arrived in Saudi Arabia in 2001, they thought everything wrong with the world was the fault of Israel. Now everything wrong is the fault of Iran and they've actually made common cause with Israel. They're, they're trading back and forth very quietly. Uh, they are consulting with each other. They're sharing intelligence. Uh, And so this is actually one of the encouraging features of what's been happening. You
1: you were right there in the middle of it right after 9-11. You became the ambassador to Saudi Arabia, which, uh, boy, that was a difficult assignment, uh, to say the least. And I'm just curious, you, you know, after being in so many of those meetings and so many of those rooms and dealing with so many of these issues, what do you think is happening behind the scenes right now as we are staring down Iran? Is there a lot of work
2: that's happening in rooms that we're just not hearing about right now? It's really hard to say. Uh, The State Department has been gutted uh, from a personnel standpoint. Uh, And so we we don't have nearly the staffing, we don't have nearly the depth of uh, strategy uh, that we had even uh, three, five years ago. Uh, And so it's hard to know how deep the thinking is. We've lost a lot of expertise. Um, We've also lost some expertise in the military. Uh, So my hope is that there are deep thinkers and planners uh, involved. Uh, But we haven't seen much sign of that lately.
1: President Trump wants another nuclear deal with Iran. He came out and said that. Uh, What's the likelihood of that happening at this point now
2: that we've walked away from the first one? Well, I think it's remote right now. But it's also clear now that the uh, Iranians have walked away from every element of the deal, that the Europeans can no longer continue this pipe dream of, gee, maybe we can put something back together. And so I think we're likely to see uh, the possibility, at least, of enlisting the Europeans. And Iran will then say, long-term, hey, we've got to get in line here. They are a major market for us.
1: Well, you were part of the administration of George W. Bush, uh, who, of course, uh, he is a uh, very famous citizen here in in Dallas now. Uh, And and I'm curious, you know, how often you get the chance to talk to him and, and, and what the thoughts are about, about Iraq, well, sure. we we spent so much uh, blood and treasure there, and yeah. and to see it, you know, flailing right now, is
2: is is has to be difficult. Yeah, I don't want to speak too much for him, but I would say that for, certainly from his public comments, he continues to believe that we did the right thing, uh, because he continues to believe that Iraq now does have some semblance of democracy. They have a government, they have a prime minister, they are not under the thumb of Saddam Hussein anymore. Now, that, of course, was not the right rationale for going into Iraq. Mm -hmm. And he and I and many of us thought that Iraq truly did have weapons of mass destruction, and that was the original rationale. But it morphed into democracy and freedom, and he's a great believer in freedom. And so I think he's a little bit still unreconstructed Mm -hmm. uh, in that view.
0: You know, I'm kind of sympathetic to Iraq because all this is happening in a third country. We're we're battling with Iran in Iraq, and poor Iraq here. I'm thinking, you know, I understand why they're probably frustrated about this. This is playing out in their backyard.
2: Well, Iraq is essentially a failed state right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have a caretaker prime minister. Uh, They have a completely split parliament. Uh, And by the way, the parliament that voted uh, to expel U.S. troops was only the Shiite members of that parliament. Mm. The Sunnis and the Kurds boycotted that meeting huh uh, and so there's still rampant division within the country. But uh, yes, Iraqis are joined in one thing, and I think that is resentment at the breach of their sovereignty.
1: Yeah, does it make them seem like more of a failed state, I was gonna ask, when we send in a, a drone and do a strike in their territory and then uh, Iran retaliates and sends missiles into their territory.
2: I, I think that's right. Uh, it's similar, I think, to the uh, big upset we saw with Pakistan when Osama bin Laden was killed within Pakistan. Uh, You could ask the question, though, what was bin Laden doing in Pakistan and how many people knew about it? And I think you can ask the same question of Iraq. Uh, In in Iraq's case, they have much less capacity to control their borders, to control a monopoly on the use of force. Mm -hmm. Uh, But clearly, Soleimani was going uh, and coming as he pleased uh, in Iraq. uh, And that probably goes with the territory. And now we've been asked to leave
1: Iraq, uh, our, our troops anyway, uh, and you used to sit in the hot seat uh, as an ambassador, and, and, and surely this is uh, being hashed out in meetings and or, or, you we're know, talking to people and maybe trying to get them to walk things back and to be a bit more accommodating. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with that situation, with the
2: Iraqis saying we've had enough? I think it's likely that we will end up leaving, partly because President Trump also wants to leave. But we're getting mixed signals now. Uh, we actually have more troops in the Middle East now than we did when Trump took office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've got to figure out, are we there for force protection uh, or are we withdraw- withdrawing? Uh, and I think Trump doesn't want to be seen as being kicked out of Iraq like we were kicked out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But then what happens with ISIS in Syria if we leave right. Iraq? Well, I think that's a big question. And, and one of the questions is, what kind of force... Profile do you need to be effective against ISIS in Iraq? And are you capable of having that profile? Uh, I'm not sure 5,000 troops uh, will put a dent in ISIS. The idea was that we would be there to train and assist Iraqi uh, soldiers uh, in fighting ISIS. And that was going along fairly well uh, until uh, this latest eruption. Uh, And now, of course, we have a a great deal of difficulty enlisting the Iraqi uh, confidence. And secondly, I would say that even though we were training and assisting them, uh, a lot of the Iraqi uh, soldiers were not particularly uh, friendly to the United States. Mm-hmm. A number of them assisted, I think, in the attack on the embassy uh, in, mm-hmm. ba- in in Baghdad. So mm-hmm. um, so you think a, a number of the military... A number looks. of the military who we trained and equipped wow. were allowing uh, these uh, terrorists to come in and torch the embassy. And at the end of the day,
0: why does this matter? Because there are hundreds, probably thousands of Texans, not in the military, but working in Riyadh, working all over the Middle East. Whether they're contractors or whether they're in the oil and energy energy business from uh, down in the Gulf Coast and Houston and places like that. And in interested. the
1: military, too. And yeah, in right. the military. They're, uh, bad. Yeah, we qu- have quite, quite, a,
0: quite a few of them over there as well, too. So. Quite
1: a contingent over there. Yeah. And, uh, and as Jason mentioned, a lot of uh, Texas chicken places, too, of all And things. Riyadh and, yeah. and
0: other places like that. Ambassador, it's, it's fascinating to have a conversation with you. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Right, that was Robert Jordan. He is a fascinating guy. He's former U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia, and he was there right after 9/11. That's that's a lot of street cred.
1: Oh, I can't imagine the stress of that job at the time. And you say former ambassador, but he can talk for days about this stuff. He clearly never really left the job behind.
0: He's still just as plugged in now. I think as he might have been back then. Yeah, absolutely. We we have been getting a lot of cool feedback, mostly cool feedback, mostly. We've got some mean tweets also. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, so nature like, of the beast. You know, we're, what, 10 episodes in so far? We're like two months going so far with Yalotix, so we appreciate you guys listening to it, but let's review a okay. few people who are writing to us.
1: Okay, so we're 10 beers in, 10 episodes in, and... Uh, a
0: couple more than that, probably.
1: I'll start us off negative. How's that sound? All right, go. All right, uh, so this is from the Cup Half Empty file. Um, uh, K... I guess it's K.T. Rose uh, says, Love these two on WFAA. Was so excited for the possibility of an objective perspective from two great reporters. First episode was great. Seemed like it could be an unbiased view of politics in Texas. However... The topics of the next few podcast episodes seem to be less objective and more one-sided perspective. He gave us or she gave us one star and called it a typical left-leaning agenda. Hopefully they listen this week. Because? Because we just got done talking to a guy who was appointed by Republican George W. Bush.
0: The ambassador, Robert Jordan, is a Republican. Yes, he is. So hopefully KT Rose might come back to us. Come back
1: to us, KT Rose. Have a pint with us, too. Let's get up to two or three stars. Four, maybe. This
0: is, uh, here's one from Jennifer. Burr. She says, as uh, someone who has worked in politics in the past and consumes all sorts of news and podcasts, she says, this is a weekly must listen for me. Jennifer, thank you for that. She says, they take the stuffiness out of politics and make it accessible to everyone. I feel like I'm sitting at a happy hour with friends. Hmm. Talking to them. So keep up the great work, y'all, is what she told us. That's awesome. Uh, Jennifer should come have a pint with us. She should. We'll have to let you know next time we're uh, in the neighborhood. Here's something else that's cool. You know, with anything digital these days, you can get all kinds of metrics. Right. So most of our listeners are in Texas, so thank you all for listening. But we have a handful in other states. But here's what's fascinating, man. We have people from all over the world downloading us. Canada, the Czech Republic. India. It's big in India. I I don't know why. We we, we, they love Wheeler over there.
1: Big in India and the Czech Republic. I do
0: have quite a following. Uh, Australia, Germany, Slovakia, Colombia. Here's one: Aruba. Let me. Hey, I appreciate the person in Aruba listening to it (laughs) On the beach. You know what? (laughs) I'd probably be listening to the waves right now, but hey.
1: Worldwide.
0: We we appreciate it.
1: Uh, So, you know, let us know what you think, by the way. You've downloaded this, obviously. You've listened in to maybe a couple of these. Uh, Give us a rating on there. Give us a shout. Let us know what you think. Uh, Obviously, we can take the good and the
0: not-so-good, the one-stars. We appreciate it all, and we'll see you all next week.